0: The following is a presentation of Ralphie Report Radio. Pins off a defender, stays on his feet, he dies forward to the end zone! Touchdown! Touchdown, touchdown Colorado! Oh, Philip Lindsey! Looking deep, airing it deep, he's got a man out there, it's Fields! And she Fields all the way for the touchdown!
1: Your source for the Colorado Buffaloes and the Pac-12 Conference. I need Welcome into the Ralphie Report Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Stern. And after a two-week hiatus, we're finally back in action as the Buffs get off to a hot 2-0 start in conference play. We'll dive into the past two games a little bit. We'll talk about the impact Trayvon McMillan has had on this team. He's been great, especially the past two weeks. I hate to say it, I don't really think this team misses... Philip Lindsay on the field with the impact he's had early on. Obviously, he had big shoes to fill, but he's done a great job surpassing expectations up to this point. We'll recap the game against ASU and then we'll look ahead to USC. Later on in the show, we'll hear from quarterback Steven Montez on what the rivalry means to this team. And we also have a special guest and former. Buffs walk-on wide receiver Kevin DeMette. He'll talk a little bit about his reaction to the Buffs' hot start this season. And he'll talk about the process of walking on to a Division One football program. I know that's something a lot of you guys don't know a whole lot about. So we'll kind of clarify a couple things and talk about how all of that works. But I want to start off by talking about how good the Buffs have been in close games. Last year, this team was 2-7 in conference play. They lost several games by a touchdown or less, most notably the one against Arizona and the one against UCLA on the road. This year's team, I think, has a tighter bond and better camar- camaraderie in the locker room. That's what's helped them persevere in tight games thus far. Remember, at halftime against UCLA, they were only up 16 14 16 to 13 excuse me that the at the end of the game the score was 36 to 16 they outscored them 20 to 3 in the second half as much talent was on the field with last year's team i honestly don't see them doing that i think this year's team has a better bond they're grittier and that's why they've done better in close games so far same for the matchup against ASU When you go back and look at the last play of the third quarter, Colorado's up 28-21. ASU at their own 38. Quarterback Manny Wilkins fires a pass deep for Frank Darby. He has a 72-yard catch and run. All right? Nick Fisher, of all people, an unlikely hero who's been a contributor on this team at times, chases him, him, him down. Great hustle play gets Darby to the ground at the one-yard line, the Buffs' one-yard line, I might add. So we head into the fourth quarter. They have a first and goal from the Buffs' one. And guess what? They don't score a touchdown. Not only that, they get moved back. Mustafa Johnson had a huge sack on Manny Wilkins, putting them at the 10. And then after a short completion, they pit, they stopped them from the two. That goal line stand does not happen with last year's team. They have each other's backs in rough times, and they make big plays when they need to. That's why this team is undefeated right now. And let's give some credit to the defense in this situation as well. They held Arizona State to no points over their final five drives of the game. And that's not something that's easy to do either, I might add especially with all the weapons they have on offense. Eno Benjamin had a great first half. He ran for 121 yards. He's hard to bring down. But you know what? This team made adjustments at halftime and pretty much put the running game on mute in the second half. I'm impressed with this team's ability to do those types of things on the fly, and I think that that should be something that helps them going forward. Anyway, another guy who's been huge this year, Trayvon McMillan. In the team's last game against Arizona State, they get the ball back with seven minutes and change to go, pinned deep in their own territory. And they're able to run the clock out because of a guy like McMillan. He is, the ty- is exactly the type of running back they needed, with all due respect to the Tasmanian Devil and all-time great Philip Lindsay. He's a power back. He's a big guy who will bruise right between the tackles. Typically takes more than one guy to tackle him. And late in games, when defenses are tired, that's the perfect way to milk the clock and put the game on ice, having a guy like McMillan. He finished the day last week with 136 yards on 30 carries. He's been great for this team, and not only does he is he good running the ball, He's great in pass protection, as Steven Montez attested to earlier this week. He's a jack-of-all-trades, and he's been great in the backfield for the Buffs this year. Now, looking ahead to USC, we'll hear from quarterback Steven Montez in a second. And later on in the show, we'll have Kevin Dement on. I had him on my radio show earlier this week, and he had a couple interesting things to say about this team's hot start and the impact of LaVisca Chennault. His thoughts on that, we'll get that shortly. But the Buffs have never beaten USC. Since joining the Pac-12 2011, they have not won in six contests. Like the Rockies have to get over the Dodgers, the Buffs have to get over their own Goliath and the USC Trojans, if they want to be considered the big dog in the Pac-12 South. Look, the past two wins have been great. I know UCLA is struggling. ASU is a mediocre team this year at best. They'll probably make a bowl game, but they're not great. But USC, they're considered a very good team, and they're considered the front runner in the South as it stands right now. Now, I'm kind of skeptical with that proposition considering how good Utah has looked recently. They destroyed a ranked team in Stanford last week. But USC is still the front runner. They had b- early losses to Texas and Stanford, but they're still a very good team and they're going to be hard to beat, no, ma- no matter how you look at it, especially at the Coliseum where they haven't lost a game in two years. So it, it's, this is going to be a tough matchup for the Buffs. And let's not forget about the fact that the Trojans have animals on both sides of the football. Wide receiver, they have Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vons, Michael Pittman. Three big dudes who are all great route runners fast and would be considered number one wide receivers at pretty much any school in the conference. The Buff secondary has looked inconsistent at times. Last week, Ankeel Harry didn't get that much of a chance to play. He was pushed out of the game in the third quarter. But they had trouble covering him. Dante Wigley did. Frank Darby went for over 100 yards through the air. I know 72 of which came on one play. But still, they've struggled to cover these bigger wide receivers all season long. And JT Daniels, is I know he's a freshman. I know he's still developing. But he's done a good job getting the ball in their hands. And man, he plays to win the game. He is aggressive. And in the backfield, they have a Cedric Ware and Steven Carr. Pretty much a two-headed monster there. And the Buffs have struggled in first halves to stop the run, as we've seen the past few weeks, with UCLA and Arizona State. And listen, UCLA doesn't have any running backs that really pop out to you. Joshua Kelly's good. Kazmier Allen's good. But neither of those guys are perennial impact players in the conference. So CU needs to come out hotter and better on defense. To win this game. You don't want to get you don't want to let USC get off to an early lead, get the crowd into it. And then, man, all the cards are stacked against you. So I think the buffs need to do a better job of stopping the run from the get go. They can't just let them run wild in the first half, make a couple adjustments and stop them in the second half and expect to win the game that way. Because that's simply unrealistic. Especially when you have that good of a passing game that can make their offense two-dimensional. That, that's going to be hard to start, stop. Offensively, I think the Buffs are going to be able to put up some points. Especially with all the weapons they have on that side of the ball. Obviously, Viska is going to be Viska. He's the front runner for the Politnikov Award right now. And ranked fourth in the Heisman watch list. He is a special talent, and I don't think there's any way to describe it. He is a man among boys out there. He's bigger, faster, stronger, and more athletic than pretty much anyone on the field in any of the games the Buffs have played so far, and potentially any of the ones they do play. Colorado needs to continue to get the ball in his hands because he is going to be a huge key to their success. They can allow him to take over a game kind of like he did against Arizona State, where he had four total touchdowns, two of which came by way as being the Wildcat quarterback. They'll have a much better shot at winning. And I love the job Darren Chivarini has done in going out of his way to get the ball in Visca's hands. That is huge. And they also have some other guys, too. KD Nixon, Tony Brown's been good as of recently. Jay McIntyre will always be there for first down receptions. So I see bright things ahead for this team. And I, I like how the mentality in the locker room has not changed. Coach Mack said earlier this week that this team plays loose, but they're serious about their business. And I see him to be right. Here's Steven Montez on the team's mindset as they head to the Coliseum. We've,
0: we've never beaten them. So, I mean, that's just that kind of right there is a little bit of a motivation, a little bit of a motivator. But, I mean, we, we go into this game just like we've gone into these past five games. We come in, we, we put in our work in the, in the week, and then hopefully we, uh, we play well on Saturday. So it's just it's another game for us. It's just the next team on our, on our schedule.
1: You've just got to love the mentality in this kid. He understands the hype. He understands the media is going to ask questions about it. But at the end of the day, it's just another game. USC is beatable just like every team is beatable in college football. Anything can happen come Saturday. And you gotta love the quiet, humble cockiness that Steven has because he's the leader in the locker room and he's driving forward the message that it doesn't matter who plays, who we're playing. Because you know what? The only team that matters come Saturday is Colorado. If they go in, they're aggressive on offense. They get some stops on defense. They force a few turnovers. They will win the game. I guarantee it. They have all the talent in the world, and they're a very capable team that's riding a momentum high right now. They're coming off hot. They got two huge wins, and anything is possible come mid-October right now with the Pac-12 obviously still being wide open. But anyway, I think I think this is a very winnable game for the Buffs and one of the more winnable ones on Was- on their schedule. Washington is not going to be an easy win in Seattle. But this game is crucial for the rest of the season. If they beat USC and they ride that wave into Seattle, watch out. Because anything anything is possible. This is a this is a huge game to end the first half of the season, as it being the sixth game, and start the second half of the season. If they lose, they go into Seattle cold, a little bit less confidence probably. I know this team is going to do a good job shaking off a loss if it does happen. Let's hope it doesn't. But if it does, they can do it. They have the personnel to do it. But then you lose in Seattle and you come back 5-2, and two. And you're you're feeling a little bit less confident in your ability than you did earlier, losing to conference giants. But this team has taken the right step mentally in how they're gonna compete with the big dogs. They they, they internally they're like, hey man, we're a good team too. We can we're capable of big things here as well. So I I, I just gotta love the mentality in Steven. Not just his mentality, but the maturation that he's taken, the maturity step he's taken from last year to this year. Last year he would have said it's another game, but he wouldn't have put the preparation in the way he does this year. He wouldn't take charge in the locker room the way he is now. And he wouldn't have the same on-field intelligence that makes him one of the premier quarterbacks in the conference. So just the step and all around that this kid has taken, I know Kurt Roper's been a big part of it, is huge. But speaking of Laviska and his fellow DeSoto High School teammate, KD Nixon, I had Kevin Demet, former walk-on receiver on my radio show yesterday. Here's what he had to say about the success both guys are having.
0: And if you told me the exact numbers, I'd be like, no way, you know, just because, like, especially with this guy, I mean, no one expected that much, but I remember um, one after one of the games last year. Me and one of the other walk-on receivers kind of, like, looked at each other and were like, "Like, dude, Visca, Visca might be the best receiver on this team. And we kind of were just like, I can't believe how much of a, like a freak he is. And then um, with K, with KD, um, just, you know, seeing how quick he was and stuff and kind of um, I think the biggest thing is they just aspire to be the, the best. You know, they're not, they're never going to be satisfied. So I knew that with KD that he wanted to um, be the best. He wasn't going to settle for being second ever.
1: And Demet brings up a great point something that a lot of other people speculated on, especially with LaVisca and KD's success early on. They wonder if the best wide receivers were on the field last year for this team. And I don't say that with any disrespect to KD, uh, to Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo, Devin Ross. They all spent time with NFL teams and are good players, but you have to wonder if these guys were kind of held back a little bit last year. And to his second point, Part of the reason that this team is so successful is because they're not complacent the way last year's team was. Last year's team kind of felt a sense of entitlement in the sense that uh, we, were, we were great in 2016, so we're just going to walk in and beat teams. They didn't play with the grit, passion, and energy that this team plays with. And I think that comes partially because they didn't have that level of success before, so they were hungry for it. It's, it's, it's always an underdog who wants to do well, and that's what the Buffs have done a great job of this season so far. Anyway, something that a lot of people don't know a lot about is the process of walking on to a Division I football program. While most of these guys were highly touted recruits, brought in on full scholarship, there are a couple people who walk on the team and make an impact. And if you don't believe me, just look at what Baker Mayfield did at Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and now with the Cleveland Browns. He's a talented player. But at a school like CU or any other school in the Pac-12, for that matter, coming on as an outsider, any, any Division I program is an outsider, or a guy who wasn't recruited, hand-recruited. Remember, all these guys with big scholarships, were physical freaks of nature in high school. Most of them were the star of the show. No one could touch them. No one could even hold a candle close to them. But there are some underdog stories where guys can make their way onto the team as walk-ons. There's two two types of walk-ons. There's preferred walk-ons, which are people who are invited by the coach saying, listen, we're not going to give you a scholarship, but if you want to come here and walk on, you can. And then there's open tryouts, which is pretty much what Rudy Rudiger from famous Rudy, the famous Rudy movie, did to get onto the Notre Dame team. But Kevin DeM, he was a standout player at Arapahoe High School. He came to see you to go to school. And then his junior year, he said, "You know what? I'm going to give this a try. I'm talented enough." And here's the rest of his story and his journey as a walk-on
0: so there's a few different ways I mean they recruit some guys out of uh, high school and don't have scholarships they tell them like hey you can walk on maybe earn a scholarship come invite them to camp and then you also have uh, they do a little tryout you know about twice a year where um, that's what I ended up doing Um, so that process is kind of like you know you find out and they bring a bunch of guys in see if you're athletic if you can and play and um, from there they put you on the team and then um, it kind of just varies sometimes they keep you sometimes they don't Um, so and then from there the coolest thing is though you're you're just one of the guys I mean obviously um, you got to work your way up but I mean there was there's nothing with being a walk-on I mean it's not easy because it's a lot harder to earn playing time I'd say but it's not um hard to fit in at
1: all. I mean everyone treats you the same. Was was that it was that intimidating in first, you know, being a fan and then being on the field with all the big boys, was that kind of a little bit scary?
0: A little bit. I mean I was like I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's scary, but it was just like I mean, just how how big everyone is, and then how um, I'd say like how strong people are, even when they don't look. You know how strong and fast people are, even when they don't look like that. You know, because there's wide receivers, cornerbacks, and stuff that are um, you know lifting weights more. Than some am do in high school and stuff. So I think that was like kind of eye opening for me. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say it was like intimidating at all. I think it was more just, you know, like understood how good college athletes actually are.
1: Very cool story there from Kevin Demet, who pretty much got to live out his dreams on the gridiron after being a decent high school football player, had a pretty good career, never thought it would happen. And then he gave it a shot and things worked out. And later on in the interview, he told me that. It gave, playing college football gave him a huge level of confidence and pretty much showed him that he could do anything he put his mind to simply because of all he achieved. So it's, 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 it's a cool story. And walking on is something that you don't really see a whole lot nowadays, especially when kids get scholarships to D2 schools, they'll, say, they'll settle. They'll say that's good enough. They'll say that they just want to be able to play football somewhere. And then they don't see if what they're capable of at the D1 level. And evidently, there is a lot of good walk-ons out there and guys who end up earning a lot of playing time. Obviously, Baker Mayfield is the one that comes to the mind, but Nebraska's backup quarterback is a former walk-on. And there's a lot of walk-ons throughout the country. It's a very interesting journey that these guys take, and I can only imagine what they go through. Anyway, this has been the Ralphie Report radio podcast. And we'll have full reaction to the Buffs game coming up next week. Have a good weekend, Buffs fans. Join us next week for the latest on the CU Buffs or for continuing coverage at RalphieReport.com a product of SB Nation.
0: Oh, no, no, that get a good beat.